Welcome to episode 190 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on March 19th, 2022. I'm your host, Michael Tanell, and if you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, some app news, gaming news, and even a little bit of legal news to cover. All of this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, by Visuex, and by Bitwarden. So last week, I decided to roll the dice and cover the latest version of the Linux kernel being released. Well, as it turns out, it didn't get released last week, but it is expected to be released this week. However, since I already covered it in the last episode of Twill 189, I'll just link to the timestamp for that segment from the last week instead of doing it again this week. So, you know, when you roll the dice, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And in this case, eh, not so much. Link in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Asahi Linux, and they have the first alpha release. So for those unfamiliar, Asahi Linux is a project that was created to make it possible to run Linux on Apple Silicon, such as the Apple M1s. And this week, they announced the first official alpha release. Now, it is just intended for developers and power users and that sort of thing, but it is really cool to see this being done, because Asahi Linux alpha can be easily deployed on Apple ARC64 hardware via a simple terminal command when running macOS 12.3 and newer. It works across M1, M1 Pro, M1 Max hardware, except for the recently introduced Mac Studio just yet. But it also allows for a complete Asahi Linux desktop installation or a minimal install based on Arch Linux for ARM or an UEFI environment only if you want to do that. It also works with dual boot support, so macOS can continue to be used if you want to do that as well. So this is very important news. This initial uh, Asahi Linux alpha release has been tested to verify work with uh, Wi-Fi, USB, NVMe, display functionality, Ethernet, and other basic functionality. So again, this is just an alpha release, so it's not intended for everyone. But this is awesome news because support for Linux on this hardware is very important for continued growth of the Linux operating system. So I'm really happy to see this project continuing to have momentum and grow. If you'd like to learn more about Asahi Linux or check out the latest alpha release, link in the show notes. This week, I have some apps to let all of you Linux streamers out there know about. And that is first, we have BitFocus Companion, Boson, and another yet to be named project that was recently posted on Reddit. The purpose of all of these apps is to be able to control an Elgato Stream Deck on your Linux machine, which is really cool. As a Linux user, I will admit that I do feel like I have been missing out on some Elgato stuff in the past due to them supporting, not supporting Linux at all. But at the same time, there are other methods to accomplish similar tasks. This is why if you look in the video version, my macro keyboard is what I use to do some similar things that the Stream Deck would do. However, I have always really wanted to get a Stream Deck for the seemingly endless amount of customizations you can do with it. And also the buttons being LCD screens is, is kind of cool too. So thank you all to the people who are making these, these applications work to bring solutions for the Stream Deck to Linux users. It's really cool. So with the Stream Deck and these applications, you'll be able to like have multiple pages and archive and like organize your different various actions and macros and interact with you know different uh, devices on your system and also control your OBS studio with the Stream Deck and all sorts of stuff. So I'm really happy that there are people doing this work. I'll have links in the show notes for these projects if anyone out there has a Stream Deck and would like to try them out for themselves. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. 
Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. And with DigitalOcean, you also get a lot of extra stuff. You get predictable pricing, and you get tons of great, robust product docs. The tutorials are just fantastic there, so check it out. You can get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one to teams of a 1,000 with simple, powerful cloud computing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. We changed the URL for two tux for many reasons, but for reference, tux is the name of the Linux mascot, which is the penguin. Uh, So again... Go to get started right now with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about AMD's Fidelity FX Super Resolution 2.0, or FSR. So AMD has revealed that the AMD Fidelity FX Super Resolution 2.0 I'm just going to call it AMD FSR and from going on, uh, the next generation version of their impressive uh, spatial upscaling tech. Now, it produces high-resolution outputs from low-resolution inputs, for those who are not familiar with it. Essentially, it takes some games that are not really meant for 4K and then upscales it while not losing much resolution, and it looks really good at 4K. So AMD's FSR is a very cool uh, cool piece of tech. It can work with many resolutions, and it even has uh, FSR built in on the Steam Deck, which is fantastic. There were some limitations with the 1.0 of the FSR. It required high-quality anti-alias source images, which is not always available without making you know changes to the code or to the engine. Upscaling quality was uh, is unavoidably a function of the source resolution input. So with a low resolution source, there's not n- enough information to actually do the upscaling. So with 2.0, they are solving some of these issues. So FSR 2.0, they and I quote, they say, is the result of years of research from AMD and is developed from the ground up. It uses cutting-edge temporal algorithms to reconstruct fine geometric and texture detail in the upscaled image along with high-quality anti-aliasing. So, FSR 2.0 includes features like delivers similar or better than native image quality using temporal data, includes high-quality anti-aliasing, higher image quality than FSR 1.0 at all quality presets and resolutions. It does not require dedicated machine learning, so ML hardware stuff is not needed. Uh, It also boosts frame rates in supported games across a wide range of products and platforms. Uh, Actually, both for AMD and also their competitors because they made it open source. So this is fantastic. FSR is a really cool piece of technology. The fact that it's open source is even more amazing that they did that. If you want to check out more information about this, I'll have links in the show notes below to discover more about the AMD FSR. Or I'm going to say it right this time, fully, without any kind of hiccup. AMD's Fidelity FX Super Resolution 2.0. There we go. I did it. This week at their Game Developer Summit keynote, Google formally announced that Valve's Steam client is coming to Chrome OS. Now, it's currently in an alpha stage. We don't have a lot of information about it, but I will give you some that I could dig up. So they say initially it's targeting the higher-end Chromebooks, which makes sense because, you know, considering the requirements for running modern games in comparison to the specs of the entry-level Chromebooks, it makes sense that they would have to do that. 
Also, Steam on Chrome OS is uh, limited to the Intel slash AMD X64 Chromebooks and not the ARM Chromebooks. So if you have an ARM version, it's not going to work. And Steam will be running inside of Google's special Borealis Linux container. So there's a, it's, that's kind of like the, the only information we have about this. They were a little bit um, subdued in terms of how much information they provided. But if you'd like to learn more, I will have a link in the show notes to the full Google for Games Developer Summit 2022 keynote video in the, in the show notes. Uh, also, a quick follow-up from last week. Last week, we talked about some news for a new way to play Windows games on Google Stadia, and we got some more information on that. Not a ton, again, but we still got more information. So Google Stadia and Wine-related stuff. So uh, they say that they have the Stadia porting toolkit, which uses DXVK to translate Direct, Direct 3D to Vulkan. There's already a Wine and Proton, which they, they did mention in the talk, but it seems Google wanted to do something different. So when asked why, one major reason they say is that Stadia is a pretty stripped down version of Linux, so it doesn't have everything Wine needs to build to have direct Wine. There's also a lot of things that they don't have to care about because it's a very stripped down system, so a normal desktop would have to care about more things. So basically they said that 90% of Wine is simply not needed for what they want to use. If you'd like to learn more about both of these topics, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Xbox Cloud Gaming for the Steam Deck. They announced that Valve and Xbox Cloud Gaming team have been working together to bring support for the Xbox Cloud Gaming. It's currently in beta, but support with the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate also through Microsoft Edge beta for the Steam Deck. So lots of beta things there, so just keep that in mind. They also say, and I quote, we're particularly excited about this ourselves as we feel it can open new opportunities in the Linux gaming community. This is great because the more and more support the Steam Deck gets, the more and more support Linux Gaming gets, and this is something I was not expecting to happen at all, so even though I don't have any desire to use this service myself, it is awesome that they made it work on the Steam Deck and on Linux for those that do want it, so that is great to hear. If you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you have access to your data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, your mobile applications, desktop application, or even on the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is very, very important for a password manager. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. Did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account anyway because they have a lot of great features and it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for two-factor authentications, uh, primary priority customer service, and so much more, more. All of this for less than a dollar per month. That's right. You can get started at Bitwarden right now and make the smart move like many of the community have and get your account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Ubuntu is getting a new logo for their distribution. So they've updated their logo a couple of times. This is the second full update. 
They have a 2004 edition, 2010 edition, and the 2022 edition. And I'll, I have visuals on the video version of the show that show you the different things. If you would like to check them out yourself, I'll have a link in the show notes for those who are listening to the audio podcast. Uh, also, for those who don't know, the term for the Ubuntu symbol is called the Circle of Friends. So that's important for the next thing because here's a quote from Ubuntu talking about this new version. They say the new logo isn't a revolution, rather it's an evolution of the circle of friends. The classic white and orange color scheme hasn't changed, but the new version sports sleek lines with uh, bind the circle of friends even more closely together. Uh, that's a nice way of putting it. So I will say that I do think that this latest version of the design is a is a nicer approach. It does feel more modern. It does feel you know kind of more cohesive. And I like the symbol. I like the design overall. I also like the fact that it's easier to center it than the uh, previous versions. So the circle of friends is kind of like the original one. It's kind of like a, a wonky shape. So it just doesn't ever feel centered, even when it is centered. And with the uh, the twenty the twenty ten version, it um, has the circle to kind of make it appear centered by, by doing that. So I do, that was a good update, but I do think this newer version is quite nice. So if you'd like to see more details and they actually have a video demonstrating like the transitions and stuff like that, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Up next in the show, we got some interesting news from KDE on their blog post. They talked about the first ever eco certified computer program is KDE's PDF reader ocular. So Ocular was awarded the Blue Angel Eco Label, the official environmental label awarded by the German government. So you might be wondering, why is this a notable thing? How do you have software that's eco-friendly? Well, it's interesting because this label does matter in terms of like it certifies many products from uh, building materials to coloring pencils, all sorts of stuff. They have just extended it to software uh, in 2020. Uh, because, you know, software can be optimized to save energy and that sort of thing. So it is desirable to have this associated because it would convince maybe uh, developers to, you know, focus on trying to optimize in those ways, which would be good. And the label tells consumers which companies or organizations have gone to the trouble of actually making it environmentally responsible or going to the parse, like at least doing some kind of effort for that purpose. So that's why it's really cool that this is a thing now. Uh, the Blue Angel is awarded to a range of products and services from paper products to construction materials to printers. And in 2020, like I said, they extended this to include software products, which, this, which was the first in the world of environmental certifications to link transparency and user autonomy with sustainability. So this is really interesting because in order to obtain the eco-label, a software product must demonstrate that it meets a list of stringent requirements considered critical for the environment over the product's life cycle. These include providing transparency in the energy consumption when using the software, for example, and in the case of Ocular, while reading for um, reading annotated and an, reading or annotating a PDF, and and the ability to run the application on hardware at, le at least five years or older. These these are peer, these are things that are required for um, this certification. The Blue Angel Awards criteria also includes a list of user autonomy requirements, which reduce the environmental impact of software. For those who'd like to learn more about this, I'll have links to the details of the blog post for the KDE Ocular post, as well as the Blue Angel Award itself. Up next in the show is the latest release of 0.9.4 of Herbstluft VM. I'm, I'm close. I probably didn't say it properly, but that's, that's, that's pretty close. Uh, Herbsluft VM 
is a manual tiling window manager for the X window system. Uh, the entire configuration happens at runtime. And uh, so the configuration file is just a script which is run on startup and all configuration options and window rules and virtual desktops and key bindings and all that stuff is updated live or can be updated live because it is run uh, immediately when you start the system. And so you don't need to restart the window manager to make any, com any configuration changes or anything like that. It also has uh, floating t layers and also tiling. So if you wanna do tiling, you can. You can also switch it up and do uh, floating as well to fill up the screen space depending on how you wanna do it. Also, both tiling and floating windows can be moved, resized, focused, and all that sort of stuff using the keyboard, which is really important for tiling window managers. And the tiling algorithm is based on splitting frames into subframes, which can be split again or can be uh, filled with windows. So you can do kind of similar to the fancy zone sort of stuff in Windows with this. For those who are familiar with that, it kind of works in that sense. You can create the zones. So the screen space can be uh, freely divided into monitors as well, which may or may not match the actual monitor setup that you have. If you wanted, you can create like a virtual monitor sort of thing if you want to. And if you have a monitor with a large resolution, you can just divide it into two or more virtual monitors so that you can have like an ultra wide system and then kind of chop it up however you want to do it. So it's very cool. The Herbsluft VM is a very interesting window manager. And if you are in the, you're looking for a tiling window manager, then check out Herbsluft VM 0.9.4. Link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Visuex.com. Visuex is a brand strategy design consultancy. This is a fancy way of saying that Visuex helps brands and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth to convert leads into customers through design and marketing services. Also, it happens to be my company, so there's that. Visuex helps businesses gain competitive advantage and build lasting relationships with their communities. Businesses shouldn't settle for good enough. When you can get in touch with Visuex and get visual excellence. Why would you settle for good enough when you can get visual excellence? As a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get a free consultation with Visuex Me, plus let them know you heard about Visuex Me from Twill Me to receive a 10% discount on your first project. That's right. If you contact Visuex Me and let them know that I, me, told you, them, me to get the discount, you can get your 10% discount on your first project. So go to Visuex.com slash DLN to get started right now. I want to thank Visuex for sponsoring you know, me this week in Linux, which is also me. Up next in the show, we have some unfortunate news related to a security hole. In some ways, you could say that security holes that are found are fortunate in the sense that they can be patched. So it's kind of like a, you know, give or take, hit or miss sort of way, that how, depending on your perspective. But NetFilter firewall security hole was found by the Sophos researcher Nick Gregory. So for those who are not familiar, behind almost all Linux firewalls tools, such as IP tables, its newer version, NF tables, firewall D, UFW, is NetFilter, which controls access to and from Linux network stack. It's an essential Linux security program, so when a security hole is found in it, it's kind of a big deal. Nick Gregory, the Sophos threat researcher, found this issue and says that it's a heap out of bounds right problem with the kernel's NetFilter. Gregory states, it's exploitable to achieve kernel code execution via ROP, or Returned Oriented Programming giving full local privilege escalation, container escape, or whatever you want. So this got a score on the CVSS, or the Common Vulnerability Scoring System, as 7.8. So it's pretty high up there. 
But again, having finding the hole and then patching it, it's kind of, you know, depending on your perspective, it's good. So Red Hat says that this flaw allows a local attacker with a user account on the system to gain access to out-of-bounds memory, leading to a system crash or privilege escalation threat. This vulnerability is present in the Linux kernel versions 5.4 through 5.6.10. And you may be thinking, but we're on Linux 5.17 now, so it shouldn't be that big of an issue, would it? Well, it actually would be because if you're using an enterprise Linux distribution, then it could be a problem. Or if you're using the LTS distribution, it also might be a problem, such as Ubuntu 20.04 LTS. And also a lot of distributions that are based on Ubuntu LTS, like for example, Elementary OS or Linux Mint, will need to also update and patch these issues because they because Ubuntu 20.04 LTS ships with Linux kernel 5.4, which is affected. It has been patched, but not all distros have released the patch to their users. So anybody using a distribution that has a kernel as old as those then they need to update. This is not a remote execution thing. The attacker will need to find a way into the system elsewhere, but you know you still need to patch your systems. If you'd like to learn more about this latest discovery for the uh, NetFilter vulnerability, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have some legal news to cover. There are many examples of people using the term open source in a kind of false advertising kind of way. And this is referred to as open washing, where they make claims that either are outright you know, false claims, something that is open source that isn't, or they use the word open solely to kind of confuse people or use a term like open code in the same kind of way to seem like it's open source, but not really. Unfortunately, companies have put in some effort, a lot of effort, it seems in the past couple of years to make this a confusing thing. So this is why in retrospect, I think that the open source term might not be the best way to describe the end goal. At the time, I didn't really, when I first heard it, I didn't have an issue with it, but now it seems like because of this, there could be an issue with that. But we recently covered this topic on an episode of Destination Linux entitled Free is in Freedom, Not Free is in Beer. This episode, we explore the phrase and the reason for the phrase needing to even exist in the first place. I also give a suggestion for what I think should replace both free software and open source terms. So if you want to learn more, more about that and check out that episode, I'll have a link in the show notes for episode des- of Destination Linux episode 268. But back to the topic at hand. So the OSI, or the Open Source Initiative, recently given some great news in regards to a legal case surrounding false claims of open source. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit recently affirmed a lower court decision concluding what we've always known, that it's false advertising to claim that software is open source when it's not under an open source license. Now, there's a lot of interesting details about this particular topic in terms of like the facts around the case. How does it uh, apply to open source and what the claims were and all that sort of stuff? I'll have that linked in the show notes if you'd like to learn more because it is interesting. But overall, this is some great news and I'm very happy to see that because open source being confirmed in a lawsuit or a legal case like this is very good because we have precedent for it now. And uh, hopefully this is a kind of a way to start the process of putting an end to open washing in some way. Uh, I'm not sure if that'll happen or not, but you know, one can hope. Links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we got some reports that ads are being put into Microsoft's File Explorer. So Microsoft appears to be experimenting with more advertisements in Windows 11 after some eagle-eyed insider users spotted helpful hints turning up in File Explorer. Helpful hints, you know, quote unquote. Windows Insider Florian posted a screenshot on Twitter of the ads and other unpaid testers said that they noticed similar hints lurking in the dev channel build, with one ad suggesting users visit Microsoft Office website to look at PowerPoint templates, for example. 
They have also updated this to give some information. So Brandon LeBlanc, a senior product manager on the Windows team, told the register in a statement, this was an experimental banner that was not intended to be published externally and was turned off. That's good that they turned it off. However, if it was not intended to be you know, published externally, why does it exist in the first place? What point is it at all? if you're not intending to show anyone these things. So it seems like they were just kind of trying to cover up the mistake of even having this idea in the first place in the perspective of other people. But I have a different perspective from Microsoft. So I just want to say, Microsoft, I think this is a great idea, and you should totally do this ad thing directly in your system. Nothing bad would happen from this, and everything will be rainbows and rose petals. So do it. It's a great idea. Up next in the show, and the last topic for today, is that I want to tell you about there is a new video on the channel that I just released yesterday about how to edit KDE panels. So if you want to do that, be sure to check out the video in the description. I'll have it linked there. Also in the show notes, it's about being able to customize the panels where you want to resize them, move them around, create new ones, add different widgets, make modifications to the previous widgets. All sorts of stuff is in that video, so I think it is quite helpful if you check it out. Also, you get to see a new sort of distribution. Well, not really new, also not really a distribution, but in the visuals, you'll notice something very, you know, specific. And if you are familiar with the history of Linux, if you've been around the community for a very long time, you might have heard of Hannah Montana Linux. That has not existed for a very long time, but it's kind of a meme in terms of like this distribution was made. No one really understood why it was made. I felt that it needed a modernization. I felt that Hannah Montana wasn't getting the love it needed to. The Hannah Montana Linux distribution just wasn't getting updates. And it, it, you can tell it wasn't getting updates. So I decided to make a modern version of the Hannah Montana Linux, and you can have a much nice, cleaner, Plasma 5-based version if you want to. I mean, it's not, it's not Hannah Montana Linux because that's already a distribution, and I didn't really want to, like, fork it or anything. It's just, it's also not a distribution, I guess, because I'm not providing an actual distro maybe provide the visuals and how to do this so you can install it yourself on your existing distro so whatever you want if you wanted it i suppose but because it's not hannah montana linux i wanted to name it something else so how about hannah exclamation underscore montana os let me know what you think in the comments below about the name for this new whatever this is that i did link to the video in the show notes all right <laughs> how in the world did you keep a straight face while talking about this because, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a professional, and he also kept a straight face while actually doing the video. I know. I saw it. It was great, and I still want the theme files. I, I, I am going to be releasing it at some point. I have to kind of figure out how to do all the, the packaging of it, because I was just making it for the joke. But, you know, I haven't had people tell me they want it, so why not? Why not? Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel and the show, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, or others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics or just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post show, which is a lot of fun. So if you are interested in becoming a patron, be sure to use that perk because it is fantastic. Also, you can support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt 
at thedealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff we have. We have hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, uh, all sorts of great stuff at dealinstore.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going dealinglive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news. <laughs>